Amen. All right, check this out. Speaking of uh, that time of year, shopping. Anybody been shopping yet? All four of you. Praise God. Okay, you guys are troopers. But anyway, <laughs> listen to how these, guys, these ladies were out shopping. Check this out. And one day they stumble across. Listen, any single ladies here? All right, all two of you. Praise God. Well, pay attention. Four of you. Listen, here's their methodology. They say, someone across this real-life husband shopping center. Mm, yeah. Where, listen, a woman could go and personally choose a husband from among many men. Okay, and had five floors with the men increasing in positive attributes as you ascended up the floors. Just got better. And, but the only rule was, once you open the door to any floor, you must choose a man from that floor. And if you went up a floor, you couldn't go back down except to leave the place. Right? So the two ladies, they decided to go in and find a good husband, right? And, and when they go to the first floor, the door uh, there had a sign on it. It said this, listen, this, these men, listen to this, these men have jobs and they love kids. Yeah, the women, there. <laughs> that's awesome stuff. That, that, that's good. That's, that's better than not having jobs, not having kids, but I wonder what's further up. So they go to the second floor, which had a sign that said, these men have, listen, high paying jobs. They love kids and they're extremely good looking. Yeah, the ladies go, woo-wee. But, mm, I, I wonder what's further up. So they go to the third floor, and listen, which says this, has a sign there. It says, these men have high-paying jobs. They're extremely good-looking. They love kids, and they help with the housework. Mercy me. Yeah, this lady, whoa, you got to be kidding me. Very tempting, but what's further up? So they go to the fourth floor, which says, listen, this, these men have high-paying jobs. They love kids. They're extremely good-looking. They help with the housework, and they've got this strong romantic streak. So the ladies are going, that's all, this is, but just think, what must be awaiting us further up? So they go to the fifth and final floor, and they go there, and they see a sign on the door that says this, this floor is just to prove that women are impossible to please. Please exit the building and have a nice day. (laughs) And all the brave men out there who are walking home, let's commute, shall we, Uh, after the service. (laughs) But anyway, how many guys would say, listen, those ladies, man, they had it going, man. They should have stopped while they were ahead, right? They had all kinds of great choices right before them, but no, no, it wasn't good enough. They kept passing up looking for something better, okay? And folks, believe it or not, I'm seeing the same thing happening to us as Christians, okay? We too keep passing up on something great in front of us. Oh, no, maybe it's this, or oh, no, this will be better. Oh, no, this is... And the whole time, it's right there. It's called the Bible. We're doing the exact same thing. And the results are, frankly, just as disastrous. And folks, I'm telling you, as long as we continue as Christians to get tricked into looking something better, we too, like those ladies, are not going to be satisfied, and it's going to mess things up. And the reason why is because it's doing this. It's the trend. When we refuse as Christians to study the Bible, it produces a generation full of churches, full of Christians who are now acting like practical atheists. Oh, we say we believe in God. Of course, you got to at least have that one right, right? But, but, but half the times with our lips and our lives, we're given a different impression. We're acting like God's not even there, okay? As we've been seeing, it just is not only detrimental in our walk with God, it keeps other people from believing God because we are the witnesses, okay? They're looking to us for the answers. We're the walking Bible uh, to them, if you will. So to avoid this irony of you and I as Christians living like these practical atheists by not knowing who God is, once again, we're going to continue study on the character of God. Let's defeat this practical atheism. Let's get rid of it. Let's get back to who in the world God is, and let's let him, hello, define who he is, okay? Your own definition of God is called idolatry, okay, which is a sin, so don't do that, okay? And so far, we've already seen the first thing we need to know about God. Hello, he is what? He is real. We're really here for a real reason, okay? The second thing, the great news we just talked about before the opening prayer, God is personal. He's intimate. Jesus Christ died on the cross for what? A beautiful, loving, intimate, personal, bride-like relationship with who? The creator of the universe. That's all. Absolutely awesome. The third thing we know about God, hello, he is wise. He knows everything. You, you want all the answers? You want always to only get that which is right, the best situation to do? In any situation, go to God. Why would you go anywhere else? The fourth thing we saw, that he is sovereign. He is in absolute full control at all times. Okay, and he works all things together for good, even the hard times. In the last three times, we saw the fifth thing about God is he is what? He is powerful. One last time, turn to somebody and say, Boom! Hey, you actually did this time. Praise God. Hey, it's funny. I, a couple, uh, two weeks ago, I had a lady. She, she said, hey, Pastor Bill, just want to let you know that um, I'm watching uh, on the live services uh, from England over here. And uh, she says, in fact, uh, I've noticed that sometimes when you ask people to do stuff, it doesn't sound like they're really doing it. <laughs> I'm not bitter about it. 
But anyway, she goes, she goes, and when you, you and she even mentioned Bobby, she says, yeah, except for Bobby, right? And, uh, and she said this, she says, so when you said, I just want to let you know, when you said, turn to somebody and say, boom, I was by myself, but she said, I went ahead and did it anyway, and it scared my dog. But anyway, but uh, <laughs> thanks for participating. But anyway, but God is powerful, man. Boom, wake up, okay? And the last time we saw, if you were here, God is so powerful. Listen, the good news is there is nothing he cannot do. Why? Because he is in absolute full control with his power. In fact, he doesn't just say that. He demonstrates that. And we saw that he demonstrates that by having full control over all the wild animals. He's got full control over all the weather. And he's got full control over all the wicked governments. He sets them up. He takes them down. He is the one who is in absolute control. He is all powerful. Not man, God is, okay? And But listen, it gets even better. The Bible not only shows us what God's power, listen, is like. Listen, the Bible shows us, this is where we're going to turn now. The Bible shows us what God's power can do for you, okay? Because basically, whether you guys realize or not, what we're doing is we're studying theology. Isn't that exciting? Yeah, but I'm trying not to tell you so you get off whatever, okay? But no, we're studying theology, okay? And a lot of times you say, oh, that's just, okay, that's great. So we don't understand what God, what's that got to do with me? You need to understand, folks, that God is all-powerful. And when you understand just how powerful he is, it will radically change your walk with Jesus Christ. In fact, God repeatedly says in the scripture over and over again, listen, when you come to me, I will empower you, Christian, to do not just certain things, but supernatural things, and you will have the ability to make it through all kinds of things you can't even dream of. It's not just looking afar God and saying, wow, he's powerful. Now we're going to bring it home. What can God's power do to, for you? What has he promised for us as his kids that he will empower us to do? Well, the first thing we see in the scripture is God's power gives us strength. Now, when I bring out each one of these attributes, you need to put this before each one of them. Supernatural. I'm not talking about, oh, wow, that was, you know, I felt a little bit better. I felt stronger. You know, I, I'm starting to wear baggy clothes like Pastor Billy to hide all this bulk. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> anyway, so, no, it's, it's not just strength. It's Here's the word supernatural. We are talking about something out of the natural. We are talking about something from God. He gives you, the, it's in, with man, it's impossible. God will give you not just strength. He'll give you supernatural strength, and it's real to make it through anything. Now, as always, don't take my word for it. Let's listen to God. So open your Bibles to Philippians 4. Paul relied heavily on God's not just strength, but supernatural strength, because he had some super duper problems, okay? And God brought him through every single one. In fact, he tells us this is the secret. You want to make it through your hard times? You need to understand who in the world God is and his power. But let's take a look. Philippians chapter 4 is our opening text here. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 13. And notice what Paul's saying. He's going through some hard times. He's in prison. I'll just leave it at that for now. He's in prison, and listen to what comes out of his mouth. Oh, by the way, he wasn't in prison because he robbed a 7-Eleven. Ruth, do you realize that there were no 7-Elevens back then? But anyway, okay, he, he didn't do something wrong. He's doing everything right. He's serving God, and he's in prison. You ever had things go differently than what you wanted? Unfortunately, what sometimes is a typical response? Why, God, why? Listen to Paul's response. He's in prison. He says this, verse 10, I re- What? And he, said, he didn't just say, I rejoice. I rejoice what? I rejoice greatly. Woohoo! What? In the Lord. That's the key. That at last you've renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. Now listen to this. He's in prison again. He says, I am not saying this because I'm what? I'm in need. What? For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it's like to be in need. Okay, I'm not living some pie in the sky dream. I'm not acting like I'm, I'm really not here in prison. I'm not acting like I haven't been suffering and persecuted for Christ. I'm not acting like these problems aren't real. He said, I've learned something even better. Okay? Because I know what it's like to, to, to be in need. I, I know what it's like to have plenty. I, I, I know I've learned the secret of what? Being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Listen, here's the secret. I can do everything. How much? Everything through him, God, who gives me what? Gives me strength. I don't know how much clearer that Paul can make it than this, folks. In this passage, he tells us, where in the world do Christians, we get our strength from? It comes from God. Now, we know this verse. We know this last verse. But for some reason, we seem to want to wrench it out of its context, right? We say, oh, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We teach it to our kids, and rightly so. We memorize it as adults, and rightly so. We put it on bumper stickers. We put it on T-shirts, and rightly so. Do you understand the context with Paul making this statement? 
When Paul was making this statement, listen, Christian, he is not on vacation. Sipping it up, having a great old time. Paul did not just inherit a million dollars. Hey, hey, I can do all things through Christ. Yeah. Right? He, he, he was in a deep, dark, stinky, rat-filled dungeon, literally. Because that's what the Roman prisons were of the day. You realize this. With all due respect, they didn't come with cable TV. You didn't have any exercise equipment. You didn't get three square meals a day. This was bad. And people had to come and help you give just basic sustenance. And even that, when he says they showed up, he says, hey, I'm thankful you for showing concern. But I'm okay, ultimately. This, this, this is the context of what he's saying. He was content in any and all situation. He finally learned the sea. Wouldn't it be great, Christian, if no matter what life throws at us, whatever we go through, high times, low times, whatever times, that we could sit there every single day, just be smooth, steady, Contempt. Wouldn't that be awesome? What Paul say the secret was? He, he, he not only said it was possible, he tells a solution. He says, you can live like that, Christian. You know that. Is anybody tired of living life as a Christian? I've said this before. Hey, have you ever seen it at the, the car places? They're always wanting to gather your attention, right? And they got like this inflatable balloon up top. We have top this so you can see from miles away. Come here, come here, right? Or when you get closer, then they got the inflatable grill, you know, whatever the thing is. Or the, the latest things, I guess you put air in it. It's that thing that just goes like this. You see those things? And man, they work too because they get your attention, right? It's a, let's just close in prayer. No, <laughs> I think sometimes that's how we are as Christians. We're standing strong. But here comes some wind. What do we do? Oh, hey, I'm doing great. Oh, no, I'm not doing great. Is anybody tired of that? Paul is, t- this is fantastic news. Paul is saying, listen, this is real. I'm in prison for Christ. It's horrible. But I'm content. You want to know what the secret is? You can do all things through Christ. Who gives you what? Gets you out of prison? Makes everything go away? Takes away the pain? No, he gives you what? That's the point. That's the secret. Who gives you strength. Now, lest you think this is some isolated case with Paul. He's like, well, he's pulling himself up by his own brute steps because this is a rare thing for Christians to ever go through difficulties. And and Paul's just knowing that it's going to be over any time. He's going to get back to sweet living. (laughs) No. Have you ever seen Paul's life? Let's just take a look at Paul's life and what he went through uh, in serving Jesus Christ. I call it Paul's bad day. And he tells us this in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 11. He says this, he worked harder than anyone. He was not lazy. He'd been in prison more than anyone for serving Christ. He'd been flogged more severely than anyone. By the way, that really hurts. And the fog, when it gets you into your back, it ripped the shreds. They put glass and things in it, just like with Jesus. They shred your skin apart. He'd been flogged more severely than anyone. He was exposed to death again and again and again and again. Five times he was now beaten with uh, 39 lashes. Five times he went through that. Do the math. How many times on top of getting flogged? Three times. Then on top of that, he was beaten with rods. Can you imagine his back? Remember when Jesus called Paul? He said, I'm going to show him how much he's going to have to suffer for me. I mean, Paul was just a walking scar for Jesus. Uh, Once he was stoned, and that was not the medical marijuana. Hello. Okay, you got to say that nowadays, unfortunately. That was rocks hitting you. Okay, that was bad. Okay. Uh, Three times he was shipwrecked. What? Three times, right? He spent a day and the night in the open sea. He was in constant danger from rivers and bandits, his own countrymen and and Gentiles and false brothers. He labored and toiled often without sleep. He often went without food and water. Yes, as a Christian and even clothing. And he daily felt the pressure and the concern for all the churches. How are they doing? Oh, my heart's breaking. I hope they're doing well. I hope the false teachers don't come and get them all. How many guys would say Paul wasn't just having a bad day? He was having a bad life. (laughs) I mean, it's, whoa, he's got some serious problems. Can you, listen, can you imagine he went through all that and the next thing you know, he's still serving Jesus. Can you, first of all, surviving that? Coming out on top with a great attitude. And the next thing you know, all right, Paul, bang, drop you in a hole in a rat-filled dungeon. And then he says, hey, 
Thank you guys. I'm glad that you're able to finally help me with some of these practical needs like food. But you know what? I'm content. I've learned the secret. I know what it's like. I'm not living some fake dream. Here's the secret. No matter what you go through in life, God can give you supernatural strength. And you can make it every single time. Paul wasn't the only one. You look at the scripture. How many times did God do supernatural power to people? One of my favorite ones, we talked about this before, but is Gideon. Gideon, remember, he has to go fight these guys, right? And he starts out with uh, uh, several thousand, and God keeps paring them down and paring them down, and he ends up with 300. Usually, if you're going to take it on a battle, you want more. And God says, no, you get less. <laughs> and then, then, listen, he not only went to battle with them, okay, but he defeated thousands of their enemies. You know how they did it? God says, you take those 300 guys, I got you all the way down to this, and here's what you do. You get to that top of that hill there, and you guys, what you do is you take clay pots and torches. Go get them. <laughs> Can you imagine that? And they did it. And guess what? They won with a clay pot. And torches. And that's just getting that. And then later, he single handedly defeated a whole town. Samson, Samson gets a supernatural strength. This was a real guy, you realize. He, he, he rips off the massive gates of a city. He proceeds to take them up the hills, right? And then all by himself, he, listen, he killed thousands of guys coming at him, listen, with a jawbone from a donkey. That's it. This really happened. The guy didn't have an Uzi. He wasn't up there with Gatling guns. Ah, I'll get you now. He didn't line the whole thing with a thousand tasers. Not one, not ten, not a hundred. A thousand guys. God supernaturally empowered him. That really happened. You see, the problem is, as Christians, we read those accounts. They're not stories. They're accounts of real people that we will see in heaven. And we act like, well, that was them, but God can't do that now. Are you kidding me? God can supernaturally empower us through any kind of day. How many guys had a day like that? You had a thousand people coming at you, and you had to fight them off with a stick. (laughs) How many guys had life like Paul? And I'm not trying to minimize their troubles, but guess what? It ain't nothing like that. But guess what? Here's the good news. Even if it went to that extreme, what's the good news? Here's the secret. Christ can empower you. If you trust him, if you call upon his name, if you ask him to give you the strength, bang, he loves you. He's your child. And he'll give it to you. That's what these guys did. That's what Paul relied on. It's what Gideon trusts. It's what Samson trusts. It is God who gives us. Listen, that's what God's power can do for you. And you know what? If you haven't learned this yet, Christian, there are going to be some times when it is way beyond your strength. You will not have the power to make it through this one. But here's the good news. God can. And God can and will empower you to do it. If you would just ask him. Okay? The second thing God's power gives us, not strength, but man, read the scripture, man. It gives us courage. Some, you ever get, tr- troubles are so big, you just get kind of freaked out. You need some, a good dose of courage. <laughs> yeah. well, listen to what happened to Daniel's three buddies, Shadrach, Meshach, and Tabedjigo. Remember that guy? No, it's Abednego, but that's what you say to the kids at night. But anyway, uh, Daniel chapter 3, verse 16 through 18. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar. Now, what's the context here? The context here is he's making this image, and he's telling the whole world, you need to bow down to this image, right? You need to commit idolatry, or you will die. The world wants you and I as Christians to uh, basically bow down to them, say all religions are one, okay? We need to compromise, go off the system, or you will die. That is coming, you realize. But here's what happened. Real people, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king in that context, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves before you in this matter, okay? If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from him, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. Listen to this, though. But even if he does not, you know, sometimes God, he doesn't take you out of it, does he? Later, these guys learn in the fiery furnace, Right? Sometimes God will take you out. But sometimes he won't. But even if you're there in the midst of the flames, who's right there with you? God. 
See, we want God to take us out of our problems. We want God to take us around our problems. We want God to take us over or under our problems, escape the problems. God says, no, sometimes I'm going to let you go through it. But you're not alone. Right? And that's what they said. Hey, it doesn't matter. He'll rescue us. But listen, even if he doesn't, you're missing the point, king, who's really in charge. We want you to know, oh, king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. And you got to understand the context of what's going on here with these guys. It is absolutely amazing. This really happened. They're not just going up to some important figure. They're not just going up with the, uh, you know, the governor of Nevada, right? They are going up the world ruler of the day. They're, ta- they're talking back to this guy who said, do this, worship this image or die. And they're talking back to him with absolute courage. He's threatening them with death on the spot. I'm going to chuck you into the fire and first. I'm going to barbecue you alive. And what do they say? Crone translation, take a hike. King, we only serve the almighty king. And one way or another, we're the ones coming out on top. Okay, how many guys would say that's pretty courageous? Right? How many guys would say that's beyond natural? How many guys would say that's supernatural? That really happened. And again, if you read the scripture, man, there's all kinds of examples. Here's another one that we go over all the time and we skip it. Because we got this Charlton Heston thing in our brain. Okay, I'm talking about Moses right? We, we look at Moses, right? And we think that when Moses approached Pharaoh, he was probably in his mid-40s. He was, once again, slim and trim, wearing baggy clothes like Pastor Billy, hiding the, you know, whatever. <laughs> he's in his mid-40s, right? And so he's just this young guy. He's strapping man. He's got his youth with him, and he's taking on Pharaoh. Are you kidding me? That's not who he was, Moses. Read the context of when he's going up against Pharaoh. He is 80 years old. 80 years old. Let me bring it home for sunrise. This is Orson. Orson, we love you, buddy. Orson is so courageous. Listen to what he's doing. Orson is taking on the world power of the day. Orson marches right in to the Capitol. He goes right into the UN building, and he stops the whole thing. Stop! I order you to let every Christian go. Give it up for Orson. <laughs> you know what I'm saying, right? I'm like, what? That's what Moses is doing. He walks into the world power of the day. He's 80 years old, and he says, let my people go. He gives the world power orders to set the slaves free. That's pretty courageous. We've talked about this before. David. David is going up against Goliath. Goliath is not like me. He's not vertically challenged. He's like nine feet something tall. Big old dude. He's also a seasoned warrior. Right? His weapon's way more probably than me. But again, we think of David, we think, well, he's a young strapping guy in his 20s, and he's been working out, and he's a, a master of kung fu or something. He's going to lay it on him. You know, he's so, no! He's probably 12 to 14 years old. Let's bring it home. That's my son. My son is going up and whooping on a nine-foot seasoned warrior. Whoa! That's, that's, that, that's not just courageous. That's what? supernatural because that's not normal but who gave it god that's what his power does let me give you some modern examples every single one of these really truly heaven how about a guy named foster walker he's a christian he accidentally walked into a bank holdup in memphis tennessee right in the middle of it listen to this and as soon as he walked in the robber pointed the gun at him and ordered walker to give him all his money Right? So what did Walker do? Listen, he said, quote, you just go ahead and shoot. I just got through reading my Bible, and I've already said my prayers. And a Walker, a Christian man in his 60s, just turned around and walked away. That's pretty courageous. Right? How about this Christian grandmother? This is wild. True story. Uh, it's in South Dakota. Okay, they were in their motorhome, in their motorhome, and, and a 120-pound mountain lion leaped through the window Okay, listen, and began to maul her 18-month-old grandson. So what'd she do? And I quote, the report says, she said, quote, all I kept saying to my husband was, give me a knife, give me a knife. (laughs) And her husband gave her a butcher knife. She jammed it in, she twisted it into the lion's heart, and she killed it. And she said in the interview later, she said she prayed to the Lord for strength and courage to hit the right spot, and she did. Lesson within the lesson, don't mess with that grandmother. (laughs) <laughs> Christian missionary, I love this one C.T. Studd, that's a name 
C.T. Studd, he said, listen to this. Some people want to live within the sound of a church or a chapel bell, but I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. Now that's courage. That's today, not just back then. That's fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, supernaturally made courageous by the power of God. We need to get back to that, Christian, because we might very well be heading for some horrible times. Maybe we're getting a reprieve, maybe not. We'll find out, but we don't have to worry because not if, but when the next hard time comes. Oh, by the way, how many guys going through a hard time right now? How many guys actually going through a pretty good time right now? Raise your hand. Well, take heart. It's not going to last forever. You're going to go through a hard time. <laughs> Let's close in prayer. <laughs> but what's Paul saying? It doesn't matter anymore, does it? Because you can be content. You don't have to sweat bolts. Oh, it's great now, but oh no, it's, I know it's coming. It's, uh, you don't have to live like that. One day at a time. If, if a hard time, if it's a great time, woo-hoo. if it's not a great time, guess what? Thank you, God, for giving me the supernatural strength and courage. I don't care what comes my way. I'm content. Because I know you're going to show up right when I need it. That's who you are. That's a whole new way of living. And that's what our world needs to see from us. Okay? The third thing that God's power does for us is it gives us protection. Now, this is cool. I love this graphic. Isn't that cool? Like Jesus. What hyena is going to take that from that lamb? It rhymes with nobody and nothing. Okay, okay. But listen to this. This is a fantastic verse on God's protection. Okay, his power over us. Okay, this is great. It's found in Titus. Okay, Titus chapter two, verse 14. Who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself, listen, a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Now, isn't that the most incredible, profound passage blatantly telling us about the amazing, powerful protection of God towards his children? Yeah, with the bl- I knew you'd do the blank stare. Okay, see, you're not getting it until, let me expand the text there. You need to focus on the phrase there. Listen, I, I, I'll never forget the first time in my Greek studies when I came across this. It's like, man, are you kidding me? This was there the whole time. Okay, and you need to focus on the phrase there, a people that are his very own. Okay, listen to that. In the Greek, it literally means, let me break it down for you. It literally means a people of his own private possession. Speaking of God, I'm still not done. It's we turn to somebody and say, you are God's private possession. How many guys got a few possessions and you got to try to safeguard them? Right? Your first step, obviously, is to go get a wiener dog to patrol the house. Hey, it works for me. <laughs> you know, but you got stuff. You keep it in a bank. You keep it in a vault. It's your private possession. You hide stuff in this drawer and that drawer. Hopefully, I'm not giving away all our secrets. But you do, <laughs> but you, you do this. You just, it's your private possessions. You don't know. And you, and you do it. We are God's private possession. Do you think anybody's going to touch us without his permission? See, that's what this friend, and let me break it down. It gets even better. It's made up of two words. See, that's what were his own private possession under his protective care. It's made of two Greek words. One of them, which means around, like a circle. So if we'll draw a circle. Okay, the other one, which means to be, represented by a, a dot. So literally what the Greek words are saying is, here's God, the circle, completely surrounding you and I, the dot. So visualize that, and you tell me, if something's going to touch that dot, what does it have to go through first? That's what he's saying. He's saying in this text that, listen, we walk, it's not only about his forgiveness, which is awesome. All wickedness, it's all wiped out. Woo! But then he says, because of that, you belong to him. You're his private possession. Now, Christian, whether you believe it or not, trust the word of God, trust the scripture. We walk around with a God bubble. And nothing enters the sphere of these lives without his permission because we belong to him. We're his private, prized possession. That is absolute, amazing, powerful protection. Amen? Okay? Now, in case you're not getting this, I need to break this down for you with the help of John Gibson. Give it up for John. Praise God. Thank you that you're here to John. And he was gracious, apparently enough, to be the visual aid this morning to help us understand 
How? Understanding God's power, certainly his strength and courage, but also this fact that his protection. And when you fully understand this, and that nothing enters the sphere of your lives without his divine permission, and if he allows it to enter, he's good and loving, so it's got to serve a good and loving purpose. So when you understand his protection, what does it mean to have this God? It radically changes your life. Okay, now in the context of what I'm about to show you, this is not a good day for John. Okay, it's not a good day for John. He's having a rough day, it happens, right? Okay, but he's still here today, okay, and I think I know why. But let, let me start the day off for you. Once upon a time in a land far, far away, right, called Las Vegas, there was a guy named John, right? And one day John goes to work, you know, and no sooner does he get to work, and, and uh, he gets this call from uh, Ruth, his wife. And uh, she says, hey, honey, I, I, I just, I'm trying, I'm trying, I just can't get the car started, right? And uh, so John asked her, well, what do you think's wrong? And she says, I think there might be a little bit of water in the carburetor right? And so John, he rushes home. He's a guy and all. He's a mechanic. And, and so he gets home. He looks at the car. I kid you not. Listen to this, man. He takes his lion's hat. He throws it on the ground. He starts stomping on that baby. I mean, and if you guys realize what a man of faith John is, although they're doing pretty good this year, he is a big lion's fan. So for him to throw his lion's hat down there, he's stomping on that baby. I mean, he's driven in the dirt and he's, oh, and you go, man, you, John, that's, you're a Christian. That's, that's kind of an extreme response to having some water in the carburetor. But folks, you didn't see how much water was in Ruth's carburetor there. Okay. And, and so why he freaked out there. So <laughs> I tell you what, it's pretty rough. All right. So John, he gets done. He kind of calms down a little bit. He goes back to work, and things start calming down, and, and he's, okay, whatever. Time to go, go home. I'll just get that out of my brain. Deal with it later. And uh, so, uh, before he gets to the house, he gets this text message from Jennifer, his daughter, right? And she tells him that her and her husband, Jared, they decide to adopt a baby, right? And so, John gets done reading the text, man, and he, I tell you, he rips off his lion's jersey. He's ripping it off. He's in the driveway, just shreds it off. He throws it on the ground. This time he gets into his man truck and he's backing up oh, the, the jersey back and for 14 times. He's just totally destroying the jersey. Yo, John, come on. You're a Christian, man. That's a little bit extreme, man. But folks, you didn't see a picture of that baby they adopted. Okay? And uh, it was rough. It was pretty rough. But, you know, he's a Christian, right? She just worked with what you got, okay? But, uh, but anyway, so John, he's, he said, that's it, man. I'm getting out of here. It's Friday. Yeah. Glad to hear, John. And so he's, I'm getting away from it all. So John, he decides to go out in nature, man, get some peace and quiet, right? He's going he's gonna to go deer hunting, right? And so John, he's out there in the wild, and he gets up into his tree stand there. He's all got his camo gear on. He's got his rifle. He's relaxing. He's looking here. He's looking there. He's waiting for that deer to show up. He's looking everywhere. But do you think with the day that John's having, he's going to get a deer? Folks, I tell you what, things were not looking up for John at all. He wasn't going to get one. I mean, it just, it just wasn't going to happen. There was no deer in sight. <laughs> How many guys say John had a rough week? You know what I'm saying? It was, it was bad. It was rough. Whatever. Things weren't looking up. But he's here today. Right? He's here today. And you're thinking, what in the world does that got to do with God's protection? Well, hopefully I'm getting to that. Okay? See, I got a theory and it goes like this. Work with me, John. See, the reason why John can still smile, still chuckle, he even showed up today, praise God, after a week like that, because he remembered Titus 2.14 and that God totally surrounds his children in a protective bubble. Right, John? Hey, praise God, I'll pay you later. Okay, and again, what does that mean? Hey, good times, bad times, water in the carburetor, whoo, family challenges, uh, can, nothing goes your way. What, the, God is surrounding us with a protective bubble. We are his private possession, very treasure. And if water and carburetor did penetrate the bubble, it's only because God allowed it. And even though we have to deal with it, God says, listen, it's for a good reason. There's something good I have for you because he works all things together for good. Isn't that fantastic? In fact, the Bible says that God's protection is not just two-dimensional. Listen, write these down. It is multidimensional. The Bible says that we have God before us, Isaiah 48, 17. We have God behind us, Isaiah 30, verse 21. We have God to the right of us, Psalm 16, verse 8. We got God to the left of us, Job 23, 9. God is above us, Psalm 36, 7. God's arms are underneath us, Deuteronomy 33, 27. And his spirit is inside of us, Paul says, 1 Corinthians 3, 16. How many guys would say it's pretty well protected? This is what God's power can do for you supernaturally strengthen you, supernaturally encourage you, give you that courage, and supernaturally protect you so much so, whether we see it or not, nothing enters the sphere of our lives without his permission.
And if it came in, there's something good in it for us. We never lose. And that brings us to the fourth and final one. God's power, when you get all three, when you understand that, man, that gives you hope, okay? And and Paul even tells us how to keep that attitude going. Nothing gets you down, okay? And this is what he says in the book of Romans, okay? Here in uh, chapter 15, verse 13, Paul says this, may the God of what? Hope, okay, comes from God, fill you with all joy and peace. What's the action point there? As you freak out and as you trust in him. That's what keeps it open. That's what keeps it flowing. And that's what he says. Why? So that you may, he doesn't just dabble a little bit of hope on you. Listen, that you may overflow with hope. And again, it's supernatural. Is it by you? It's by the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul makes it clear, Christian, where we get our hope comes from. It comes from God. But my point is this. When does it fill our hearts? When does it literally we get to walk around and not just say, I'm hopeful for this one nanosecond of a time. I just happen to get it. Okay. When does it happen that we are so full of God's hope that it's just oozing off of us? We got hope to spare. Hey, Tom, you need some? Here, let me get some off you. Is it getting you yet? And we were overflowing with hope. We got so, wow. How do we get to that point? I didn't make it up. He's, he said it. How do we walk around as Christians and we are not just hopeful here and there? I got hope coming out of my ears. I got hope to... He says there, as you, what? Trust in him. This is the whole key to experiencing God's power. Listen to this. We don't get the hope we need to make it through life when we have all the answers and the details figured out, do we? Hello, that's not when you need hope. Right? Okay. That's not what we need. We get it when we trust God for his strength, for his courage, for his protection during our difficulties. And this is why God says Old Testament, New Testament over and over again. Christian, you don't have to be filled with fear. You don't have to be filled with worry. You don't have to be filled with anxiety. Why? Because even though you may not see God's power moving, he is nonetheless real. And he's the one, not me. He's the one who's promised I will take care of my private possession. And when you need it, I will show up. I will give you the strength and the courage. I'll give you the protection you need. Take heart. And as you trust in that, what are you filled with? Hope, man. Hope. In the midst of the circumstance. In fact, if we're honest with ourselves, most of the time we don't even recognize God's power moving until it's after the fact. Hindsight 2020, right? It's like this story. There was a missionary on furlough, true story, and he's visiting his home church back in Michigan. And he said this, while serving at a small field hospital in Africa, every two weeks I traveled by bicycle through the jungle uh, to a nearby city for supplies. And this was a two-day journey and it required camping overnight at the halfway point. And on one of these journeys, I arrived in the city where I planned to collect money from a bank and purchase medicine and supplies and then begin my two-day journey back from, uh, to the field hospital. And upon arrival in the city, though, I observed two men fighting and one of them been seriously injured. So I treated him for his injuries and at the same time talked to him about Jesus Christ. I then traveled two days camping overnight and arrived home, listen, without accident. Two weeks later, I repeated my journey. And upon arriving in the city, I was approached by the young man I had treated. And he told me that he had known that I carried money and medicines. And he said, quote, some friends and I followed you into the jungle, knowing that you would camp overnight. We plan to listen, true story, we plan to kill you and take your money and drugs. But just as we were about to move into your camp, we saw that you were surrounded by 26 armed guards. And the missionary sharing the report, he says, at this, I laughed and said, I was certainly all alone out in that jungle campsite. But the young man pressed the point and said, no, sir, I was not the only one to see the guards. My five friends also saw them and we all counted them. And it was because of those guards that we were afraid and left you alone. Well, at this point in the missionary's address, one of the men in the congregation, he jumped to his feet and interrupted the missionary and asked if he could tell him the exact day when this happened. So the missionary shared the date and the man who interrupted him told him his story. Listen to this. He said, on the night of your incident in Africa, it was morning here and I was preparing to play golf. I was about to putt when I felt an urge to pray for you. In fact, the urging of the Lord was so strong, I called men in this church to meet with me here in the sanctuary to pray for you. 
And then he asked if all those men who met with him on that day would please stand up. And when they did, the missionary wasn't concerned with who they were. He was too busy counting how many men he saw. There were exactly 26. How many times have we ever been through that? How many times do we go through scrapes in life and we go, whew, wow, that's good. I can't believe we made it out of that one. Woo-hoo. Not realizing who do you think brought you through. How many times? How many times a day do we go? Have you ever thought this? I've thought this so many times. How many times did you get like really close to getting in a wreck? How many times does that happen? Right? Right? Especially with Mario's driving. Man, you want to have some faith? You drive around with that. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> You're pressing your... <laughs> Why did we not get into a wreck? Was it all just natural? Have we forgot the supernaturalness of God? Have we forgot that we are in that protective bubble? His angels are sent, Hebrews says, as ministering spirits to minister to take care to watch over us. How many times has God spared us like that missionary and we don't have a clue? We may not understand God's presence, understand his power fully, but it's nonetheless real. He totally surrounds us at all time. Listen, and it is in trusting in this truth now as you trust in him, that's what gives us hope for today. And this is why it comes back down to one of my favorite sayings. There are no hopeless situations. Did you realize that? There's only people who get tricked into giving up hope in God. And God is calling us back. Don't lose sight of me. Don't lose sight of my power. Don't lose sight of who you are and how important you are to me and my promises to you. I didn't say you're not going to go through hard times. You will. He's promised us that. Heaven comes later. But I will take care of you. I will strengthen you. I will give you courage and protection. And we're filled with hope. In fact, sometimes I believe we just need to get back to that childlike faith. Remember when we first got saved? And the Bible was all exciting. Yeah. And we read in the Bible and we go, well, God can do that today. And I say, yeah, whoa. And we trust him for these big, we just need to get back to that childlike faith because that's what we need as we trust in him for deliverance through our problems. Like this little boy. Watch what he went through and how he responded in faith. In his time of need. True story, by the way. Watch this. Ten-year-old Willie Myrick loves playing the drums, something he hopes one day to do at his church. Born to atheist parents, Willie was raised by his godmother, Codetta Bateman, who took him to church. It was there that he learned about God and developed a passion for the Bible. While most kids his age are busy playing video games, Willie spends his free time studying the Word of God. He says God is his best friend. I always think that God is with me everywhere I go. In April, while playing with his dog in the front yard of his Atlanta home, Willie came face to face with a kidnapper, putting his childlike faith to the test. Ten-year-old is abducted from right in front of his home in Atlanta, Georgia, only to be released a few hours later. And you will not believe how he got the kidnapper to let him go. He did it by singing, Megan. It really has become the song heard around the world, and police say it may very well have saved the life of nine-year-old Willie Myrick. He started singing a gospel song called Every Praise. Praise. 
Well, he says the man cursed at him, telling him to shut up, but he kept singing for three hours until the man finally stopped the car and told him to get out. The boy ran to a nearby home, asked the homeowner to call his guardian. By that time, police were already canvassing the city and quickly picked him up, saying the song saved him. While he's enjoying being in the media spotlight, he says he's just an ordinary kid who serves an extraordinary God. It really doesn't matter to me. As long as I still have Jesus and he's still working, doing his little magic. Well, it's not magic, it's just power. <clears throat> oh, to have faith like a little child again. I think that 10-year-old boy has a better understanding of God's power than many Christian adults. Amen? Folks, what you got to realize, this boy basically sang Bible. He sang theology. That God is my deliverer. In the backseat of a car. That was his natural response. Over and over and over again until God supernaturally showed up. And he did it. And he set the captive free. He rescued him. His hope in God, his knowledge of God's power, as he just said it, gave deliverance. This is what Paul says. You want to be content? Trust in God. Not yourself, not your ingenuity. Not your circumstances. Not how things are going, good, bad, or ugly. Or lack thereof. Trust Him. You want to be content? As you trust in Him. He'll deliver you. He's still doing it today. We still say, serve the same God. Listen, we may not sing Christian adult a literal song for three hours in our trials. But listen, by trusting God in the midst of our difficulties today, that trust is our faith in God singing. It's the same thing. He just put it to song. And just as that boy was a profound, what a witness. He made it on Fox News, man. <laughs> and who's he proclaiming? Jesus. Boasting on Jesus, the power of God. I don't care what I go through in life. As long as I got Jesus, he's got the power to take care of me. How many souls, I wonder, got saved because of that boy's trial? He didn't just make it, but God turned it around for a witness by the way he reacted in trusting God. I'm telling you, it's the same thing today. If the world is ever going to believe our message, the good news that we say they need to have, and they do. Here's the good news. God not only exists, but through Jesus Christ, we really can have a beautiful, loving, intimate, personal relationship with the creator of the universe through Jesus. But if they're ever going to believe our message, we have to start singing it. We have to start trusting it. We have to start believing it, living it with our lips and our lives and showing this world just like that boy that God's not just real. He's not just personal. He's not just wise. He's not just sovereign. But God is power. Supernaturally powerful. And he could do the same thing for anyone. That's what they need to see and hear from us. Amen? Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries. And I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem the Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven. And that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness or the wrong things that we have done have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin or unholiness uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not, the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma 
even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy, we're not perfect like him. Uh, let's take a, a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, the Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you have ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not steal. Okay, how many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, we've already said we're a bunch of liars. Okay, well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, it could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, that means that we're a thief. Okay, the Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hey, folks, isn't it ironic how... Uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, has now become a cuss word. Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy. Okay, and folks, let's be honest, we've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you, that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that and it's just as bad. He knows the mind, he knows the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God, and you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, what he did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but he will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn. We, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it. And a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says, we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it, it's a proven fact they did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did, because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it, and they can't earn it, if he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. 
And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in his work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that right now? Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and, and Get a Life Ministries. And if there's anything that we can do for you, uh, please don't hesitate uh, to contact us. Uh, our number, our information will uh, come up here on the screen shortly. And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.